everyone. Welcome to the pod. My name is Emily. And I'm Paige. And we are both roasted weenies cooking on an old clothes hanger. And you're listening to Tuesdays Are for Twilight. How's it going? How's your day? My day's good. It wasn't too busy. I got paid today. Not that I got paid. I made money today. Um, I got some homework done. I picked up some piping cold sushi ready to for me to eat in the fridge. I'm excited. I'm having a cold crisp kombucha as my beverage today. For all the listeners, um, you all know I'm doing a dry February. I am now addicted to kombucha. I didn't think I'd like it, but it's very reminiscent of cider. It's super sour and good for you. And now I'm the mother of a billion microorganisms inside of my intestines. So, you know, I feel really good about that. I'm happy for you. I do not like kombucha. Although I will say I have extolled the virtues of the peanut butter whiskey entitled Screwball on this podcast before. This last week, I tried this new one by a different brand called Scatterbrain, and it was peanut butter and raspberry jelly. And you know what? It wasn't bad. It wasn't as good as Screwball, but it wasn't bad. It sounds awesome. I love a PBJ. Yeah, I, was, I had a little bit higher hopes because my standards are high for because Screwball's so good, but it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Does Screwball taste like real peanut butter? Yes, you can't even tell you're drinking alcohol, which is problematic. I'm going to have to look into this. I'm serious. It's so good. It's fucked up. <laughs> I, uh, this is super random, but I also wanted to talk to you and also the listeners about it. Along with my kombucha addiction, I am now a diehard Wordle fan. Have you ever tried Wordle? I'm a, I am I love it. It's so fun and challenging, and I love, you know, words and vocab and spelling, so it seems like a game maybe you would like. Yeah, I love Wordle. I've been playing it for maybe, like, three weeks, and my fucking streak won't update. It's been at 14 days for, like, I don't know, since I've been playing it, so... Like, for, you know, whatever, but I'm pissed. What do you mean streak? You know, like, how it shows you your stats when you get one, and it's like, here, let me pull it up and I'll show it to you. What do you play it on? Just the internet. It got bought by the New York Times, so that kind of fucked a bunch of people's streaks up. I think mine included, but I tried the little fix that they told me, and it didn't work. So, see? Is it a website? Yeah. I'm playing on an archive that has all the old ones, so I'm just doing all the old ones. <laughs> Paige, you gotta do it with the rest of us so that you can get the word of the day, because everyone has the same one. What? Will you send me the link to it? Once, once literally, I- just go into, what do you use on your phone, Chrome or Safari? Safari. Just literally Google Wordle, and it'll come right up. I did, but I feel like it's on like the New York Times or something. Yeah, it is. They bought it. So you can do the streak thing on that? Yeah, probably since you're starting now. Mine doesn't fucking work, but I think if I, like, reset my cache or something, it would probably work, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm having a really fun time doing the old ones, so. I bet you are, but the half the fun of it for me is, like, uh, talking to it, other people about the word of the day, because mm-hmm. everyone has the same one. Okay, I'll definitely do that now, for sure. And then when you do it, do you know how to share it? No. So like when you get this little screen, this comes up when you solve it and then you hit share and then you can text it. Like I'll text this to you right now. And it's cool because it just, it doesn't reveal it to the other person. It just tells how you did. Oh yeah. And I mean, I've seen that on Facebook. I've seen that. That's what caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I'll, I'll, do you have to make an account or something for it? No. Okay. I'm all about not doing that. Yeah, you just literally type in Wordle and then it comes up. It's like the memory of it is stored on your browser. So that's why I think mine's not working. But anyway. So this week we read chapter 11 of Eclipse Legends. What did you think of this chapter, Paige? It was a really great story. But that's all it was, is a story. I um obviously I did a little bit of research because, like I said, it was an interesting thing to read and I wanted to know if there was any accuracy or relevance, cultural relevance to it at all. I doubted there was and there isn't. 
So that was really fucked up in my opinion and just very, uh, what's the word? Really take, she's very clearly taking advantage of an entire culture of people, which we've talked about before, but this was a huge, a huge, a whole entire chapter dedicated to it. So I didn't really care for that, but the story itself was interesting. Yeah, it's frustrating because when I was younger, like a middle schooler and didn't know about cultural appropriation and all the issues with this, this was like one of my favorite parts because it's like really well told. I don't understand why. I mean, there would still be issues, I think, if she had just made up an indigenous tribe because that's still cultural appropriation and like stereotyping. But I don't know if there's a way that she could have done that where it was just like a different group of people that had this kind of similar story. Like that would have been cool. And she's good at that kind of like background thing. She's done this twice now in this book with Rosalie and now with this. And she has one more in her in this book. And so it's just frustrating and obviously very damaging. Yeah. I mean, for how much uh, supernatural fiction she weaves I mean she comes up with all of these crazy supernatural powers like people reading minds people being able to inflict pain by looking at someone I just I feel like she could have she could have pulled something out of her head but this was easier and in a way more exciting and something I'm going to talk about a little bit later is something that I read sort of just an easy grab I would say, for a white person to just be like, oh, this matches what I think indigenous people are like, so it's easy for me to weave this yarn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll get into it. But, I mean, the majority of the chapter is that, but there's some stuff at the beginning and end before that happens. So Bella's obviously at this bonfire party with Jacob, and she's just talking about how they've been eating a ton of food. There's this short exchange with Paul where he gets pissed that Jacob is eating the last hot dog, but then Jacob gives it to him. I, I did really enjoy the very first line. It caught my attention right away. They tell you, you know, at the very beginning of school to start with a compelling first line that draws the reader in. And Stephanie achieved that. Are you going to eat that hot dog? Paul asked. I'm already interested. <laughs> yeah, especially for you because you're Paige. The hot dog slut. <laughs> Okay, so Bella was kind of worried that she would ruin the party, but she says that it's pretty natural, and also the tribal elders are there, so that's old Quill, Quill's grandfather, um, Billy Black, and then now Sue Clearwater, who has taken the place of her husband Harry, who died in New Moon. And Bella says something really fucking stupid just right off the bat, just right off the fucking bat. On page 241, she is talking about Sue Sue replacing her husband, and then she's talking about Leah. And she says, I couldn't help but compare her beautiful face to Emily's ruined face. We don't need to go over that again and how horrible the language that Bella uses to describe Emily is. What did Leah think of Emily's scars now that she knew the truth behind them? Did it seem like justice in her eyes? Why in what rational person's mind would that be justice? Her cousin, like, almost got killed in a horrible freak accident. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and of all of that story, like, that's what you're getting out of it? That oh, is she jealous, is, you know, and then the ne- the negative attributes you're putting on to Emily. I don't know, just there's, in that story, there's way more important things to be focusing on. Not that. Not that. It just pissed me off, that line. Fucking justice. I literally, in my wrote note, in my notes wrote, why the fuck, all caps, would that be justice, Bella? And also... Like, I'm just trying to think, like, to to take the supernatural side out, out of it. How fucked up it would be for a family member to see 
a case of domestic abuse and be like, hmm, I'm happy that happened. No one, no one talks like that. No one thinks like that except like an evil person. It's a horrible thing, a horrible idea to put in your book or to put on to Leah. Like she doesn't deserve that. Yeah, definitely not. And I did call you know, um, Sam's attacking of Emily, a horrible freak accident. It's not that that was the wrong word to use. Um, cause obviously it was, um, domestic abuse, but in a way it was also kind of an accident just because he couldn't control the transformation part of that. So, and we've talked about before how messed up it is that she's like, Stephanie is using this trope of like domestic abuse for, um, Native American men. But anyways, just want to clarify. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to find, like, a real-life equivalent to it. And I, anyway, even if it, even, okay, real-life equivalent, just a crazy, horrible accident happens. You know, like, someone gets into a car accident or something like that. Just something out of your control and, you know, can be harmful to the way that you are, the way that you look. To have, again, have a family member be like, I'm glad that happened because of a relationship issue is still fucked up. Yep. Ugh. I'm turning the page angrily. Okay. Also, there is a large coalition of the Twilight fans who um, believe that Bella should have identified as bisexual in the books. Um, and I just want to say this little section is a, a good like point for that argument because she's talking about Jared's girlfriend, Kim. And at first she she thinks that she was plain, but then she realizes how hot Jared thinks she is. And just, she goes into some fucking detail describing her. her. His wandering eyes made me see new things about her. How her skin looked like russet colored silk in the firelight. How the shape of her lips was a perfect double curve. How white her teeth were against them how long her eyelashes were, brushing her cheek when she looked down. That's just so descriptive that I'm like, Bella, it's okay if you think Kim is hot. D'Angela, like, we all want this. Literally the only non-problematic ending to this book would be that. But we have to take into consideration Stephanie did not I've heard Stephanie did not really include any characters that identify as LGBTQ plus so there's no way there's no way she would ever write that agreed someone else rewrite it where that's the ending so that was all kind of just the prelude to um as we said this made up origin story of the Quileute tribe that Stephanie Literally just made up. So I'm thinking we'll just go briefly over the high points of it, or the highlights, I should say, and then we'll talk some more about, like, the truth and the actual Quileute legend. So um, the story is told jointly between Billy Black and Old Quill, and Emily is being a note-taker. So, like I said, I'm just going to hit kind of the highlights. Um... Basically, from the beginning of their history, they had had this power to um, depart their bodies. The men had had the power to depart their bodies and travel physical distances with their spirits. So they used that to protect their land because they could, like, influence animals to act in weird ways or, like, influence weather, like the wind. So obviously it freaked, like, their enemies out and they would... Um, never try to come close because they thought the whole area was cursed. Okay, so it happens that there is a chief of the tribe named Taha Aki, and there is an adversary in the tribe named Utlapa. And Utlapa wants to be in control, so basically he gets this idea that while the chief is like kind of basically performing almost like surveillance over the tribe, with his spirit, he will go into, he will like basically possess the chief's body so that everyone will think that it's the chief, but it's actually Utlapa. And then he also slits his body's throat so that the chief has nowhere to go. So he does that and then he starts doing all these like bad and scandalous things 
with the tribe, you know, taking on multiple wives at once. Um, and like, he wouldn't do any work. He was just like being horrible. And the whole time, the actual chief, Taha Aki, was like in pain um, because it's like horrifying. They describe it as horrifying, I think, to be separated from your body. Um, and so he's trying to obviously like tell, like communicate with the tribe in some way to tell them what's going on. So he brings a wolf down from the mountains to try to like communicate with them in some way. But the wolf accidentally kills a young man, like just an innocent bystander. And so Taha Aki feels horrible about that. So he like backs off and the wolf kind of stays with him. And then Taha Aki makes this decision to go into the wolf's body, basically to share it with the animal. So at that point, it's still the wolf and Taha Aki sharing one body. So, um, so he goes, they, he, I guess, um, the wolf goes down to the village again, and he starts kind of acting weird, like trying to communicate with his eyes. And um, Utlapa had banned anyone from doing the kind of the spirit thing, the spirit traveling. But there's one that disobeys him to try to communicate with the wolf because they can talk to the animals when they're doing that. I don't know if talk is the right word, but they can communicate with them in some way. And so he realizes immediately what's happening because um, just like when the Quileutes are wolves in present day, he can read like they can read each other's minds when they're in this state. So he knows that the real chief is in the wolf's body. And then Utlapa in Taha'aki's body comes up and kills the quote unquote traitor, the one who disobeyed him. And Taha Aki inside the wolf gets so mad that he like that basically his love and anger like was too human for the wolf to like bear. So he transforms into a man like the wolf body goes somewhere. I don't know. Like, I don't know where it just disappears into dust, I guess. Um, and they recognize him immediately because it's like a physical manifestation of what his spirit looks like. So then um, he kills Utlapa and then that conflict is over. Um, but he, Taha Aki realizes that like the idea has been planted now that like other people who are evil might be able to like steal other people's bodies. So he, he still bans the spirit travels. Okay, so then um, Stephanie kind of weaves in the um, legend of the vampire, not not their origin, but just how they got involved with the Quileutes. So some neighboring tribes, the Hos and the Makas, well, in this case, it's just the Makas, who is a real tribe. Um, they have some of their young women disappear, and they think that it's the the Quileutes because they just like don't trust them and they know they have like spiritual magic. So to try and figure out the situation and like stop a war from happening, Taha Aki tells um, his oldest son to like go looking for them. And also I forgot to mention um, descendants of Taha Aki can also turn into wolves um, once this that whole thing happened that I just talked about. So the wolves, the younger wolves go looking for it and none of them came back. Um, the conflict between the tribe, tri two tribes kind of like dies down because obviously they're both like um, facing death. And so they know like the other one's not to blame. And then a year later it happens again. And so the wolves go out again, trying to find the culprit. And one does return this time, and he basically describes that they came across a vampire. And they just were completely unprepared, obviously, because they had never encountered this before. So two of the wolves just got killed immediately. And then, um, let's see. And then the one that lived brought back, like, some of the remains. And this is some horror movie shit. Um, I'll just read this part. 
Yaha Uta laid the reeking remains out to be examined by the elders. One severed hand lay beside a piece of the creature's granite arm. The two peaches, pieces touched when the elders poked them with sticks, and the hand reached out towards the arm piece, trying to re reassemble itself. Horrified, the elders set fire to the remains, and they spread the remains far and wide. Billy actually still has um, one part of them. So that happens, and then uh, the vampire's mate comes to like avenge him. Obviously, she's really mad that they ended up killing him. So she starts killing just innocent bystanders who are on the beach when she shows up. And then um, there's literally only one wolf left, and so he tries to fight her off, but he ends up losing... Um, Taha Aki was like old now, so he hasn't transformed to a wolf in like a long, long time, but he gets so upset because that's his son that just died. So he transforms and starts fighting with the vampire, the female vampire. Um, and it's going badly because he's old and she's winning. And so um, at this time, Taha Aki is on his third wife. So that's how she's referred to as a third wife. Not at the same time. His other two wives are passed away. Um, and so she basically sacrifices herself to distract the vampire by um, stabbing herself in the heart. And then um, they can kind of fight the vampire off because when they see their mother die, two of her younger sons be become wolves for the first time. So they help their dad defeat um, the vampire. And then Taha Aki um, goes into the woods as a wolf and never comes back. It's obviously assumed that he passes, passes away there. And then they kind of sum it up um, with this. Uh, so I'll just read this little section. This is on 259. Time passed and the descendants of Taha Aki no longer became wolves when they reached manhood. Only in a great while, if a cold one was near, would the wolves return. The cold ones always came in ones and twos and the pack stayed small. A bigger coven came, and your own great-grandfathers prepared to fight them off. But the leader spoke to Ephraim Black as if he were a man and promised not to harm the Quileutes. His strange yellow eyes gave some proof to his claim that they were not the same as other blood drinkers. The wolves were outnumbered. There was no need for the cold ones to offer a treaty when they could have won the fight. Ephraim accepted. They've stayed true to their side, but their presence does tend to draw in others. And their numbers have forced a larger pack than the tribe has ever seen. Um, goes on a little bit. And so the sons of our tribe again carry the burden and share the sacrifice their fathers endured before them. So that's the end of that. I feel like I've been talking for forever. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to throw in, Paige? Do you think, and maybe this is, this is obvious and I just don't know, is Stephanie projecting herself into Bella? Oh, yeah. Tons of people think that Bella is just a self-insert for Stephanie at all times. I think it's just fitting for what goes on in this chapter and this series specifically um for the second story which is clearly a mirror of the situation that's happening right now where there is there was a vampire that got killed and now his mate has come to avenge his death and Bella has sort of placed herself into the story kind of imagining, yes, I would be willing to do that to save the one that I love. You know, like, she's just a regular human, and she would make that sacrifice. Like, I think, I, I'm sure that's why this story was put in. Like, there could have been a different way the vampires were introduced. It seems very purposeful that it was done this way. And I think that it's very fitting for Stephanie to just inject herself into fake indigenous history like she's already taken so much and made it her own why not insert herself into it as well yeah I get what you're saying like you're referring to the third wife I assume yes yeah like the need for the the human to be the hero not the supernatural characters or whatever right right totally so maybe at this point we could um, go over some of the research that we did. So I just wanted to read a brief um, retelling of the Quileute. It's actually the Quileute, Ho, and Maka tribes origin stories. Um, it's pretty short. 
but it is from Tacoma Community College, um, so that's the source. I will apologize in advance. There are some tough pronunciations in this, so I will do my best. Okay. Kwati creates the Ho, Quileute, and Maka tribes. That's the title. It happened long ago that Kwati journeyed all over the land, setting the people aright and instructing the people that would come in the future how they should act. Kwati instructed the people how to build houses. One day, Kwati came upon, came upon Beaver. Beaver was sharpening his stone knife, and Beaver was very stingy. Kwati asked what Beaver was doing, whereupon Beaver said, I am sharpening my knife in order to kill Kwati, said Beaver. Then Kwati took what Beaver was sharpening and stuck it on Beaver's tail. Then he said, you shall always have this stuck to your tail and live in the water. You will just slap the water with your tail and dive when the people come. Then one day he came upon Deer. Deer was sharpening his, his shell knife. Thereupon, Kawati asked Deer what he was sharpening it for. Whereupon Deer said, I'm going to kill Kawati, said Deer. Then Kawati seized the shell that Deer was sharpening. Then he stuck it on Deer's ears. He said, when you see people, you shall run frightened and stop and look back. Then Kwati went on his way. Okay, I'm definitely going to butcher this river. Um, so sorry. Not long afterward, he reached Kwati Soksa River, but he did not find any people. Then Kwati spit on his hands and rubbed them. Doing this, he rubbed off the human dead skin into the water. Thereupon, many people appeared. Then Kwati said to the people whom he had made, You shall dwell here, said Kwati. Your name shall be Queets. Then Kawati reached the Ho people. He saw that these people walked on their hands, carrying their smelt nets between their legs. At that time, all the Ho people walked on their hands. They were called the Upside Down People. Since that time, the Upside Down People were known as the first people who had existed. Then Kawati turned right side up the ones who walked on their hands. You shall use your feet to walk, said Kawati to the former Upside Down People. Go and fish smelt. You shall catch much fish when you fish smelt. Ever since then, there is much smelt at Ho. Then Kwati went on and reached the Quileute land. He saw two wolves. There were no people here. Then Kwati transformed the wolves into people. Then he instructed the people, saying, the common man will only have one wife. Only a chief may have four or eight wives. For this reason, you Quileute shall be brave, because you come from wolves, said Kwati. In every manner you shall be strong. Then Kwati reached the Ozet people, um, parentheses Maka. There he saw two dogs. Then he transformed the dogs into people. Then Kwati gave instructions to the people how to search around the rocks for devilfish and to get all kinds of seafood. Then Kwati went on. Then he came to the Nia people. He saw many people. The people did not know how to fish. So the Nia people were hungry, about to perish. Then Kwati instructed one person how they should fish. Kwati instructed them how to troll when trying to fish. Ever since then, there's much fish in Nia Bay. When Kwati finished, he said that there would be much fish at Nia Bay. Then Kwati went on setting a right and creating people, going around the land and instructing them in what they should do in order to subsist. That's the end. So just wanted to provide an actual text from the tribe themselves. And Paige, I know you have some stuff that you wanted to bring into. Yeah, I... I just was genuinely interested if there was any um, any truth to the stories or even if they were, as the rest of the book is, inspired by something in Quileute history. I did some just kind of searching around and I didn't find very much luck, but I did find a website um, it's called newspaperrock.bluecorncomics.com, and it seems kind of just like a blog, mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of a whole thing about just Stephanie's misrepresentation of the Quileute people in general, and um, the author's name is Rob. I don't know anything else besides that, but basically he kind of had the same thought as me um, in wondering if this particular chapter had any relevancy in Quileute history. So he says, um, so to, to verify this point, meaning a, a lot of the names to him sounded Hawaiian. They didn't really sound, they just sounded awkward in the book. 
So he was like, but maybe I maybe I don't know. So I'm going to Google the words in association with Twilight and see what comes up. So he says, um, to verify this point, I did the following search in Google. Quilute Kahelaha, which is um, one of the very first people that's mentioned in the first story, um, which I think is in Stephanie's story, the creator character who um, allows the transformation to happen. Um, so he Googled Quilute Kahelaha and then minus Twilight minus Meyer, which means it's only going to show Google searches that have those two words together and do not show anything that has the word Twilight or Meyer in association with it. That should list all mentions of Quilute and Kahilaha that don't involve Twilight and Meyer. Result, six hits, all of them Twilight related. Likely explanation, there's no genuine Quilute legend involving someone named Kahilaha. Again, I'm getting the impression that Meyer made up her Quilute legends. She read that Quilutes descended from wolves and thought, neato, based on that tidbit, I'll fabricate a whole spiritual history of the Quilute people. And then later, in sort of the comments of it all, he goes on to say, Non-natives have a long history of borrowing native legends, stories, concepts, beliefs, and practices, and then simplifying them, changing them, sometimes bastardizing them beyond recognition. The result is a mishmash of mistakes and stereotypes amid nuggets of actual information. No wonder people don't understand Indians. Their primary source of po is popular media, such as the Twilight books, which are based on genuine Quileute stories, in quotation marks, according to Meyer. And so then that kind of... I was like, yeah, that all makes sense. And to me, I think that a stereotype when I think of people just kind of making up caricatures and stereotypes of indigenous people is this concept of mysticism and just um, blowing it out of proportion to a way that they have no no concept of it. It's just mysticism and that's it. So I did sort of some Googling on stereotypes and Native Americans. And I found this really great quote from an article called um, it, Redskins Insult and Brand, written by Richard King. And King says, a common belief in the contemporary United States, often unspoken and unconscious, implies that everyone has a right to use Indians as they see fit. Everyone owns them. Indianness is a national heritage. It is a fount for commercial enterprise. It is a costume one can put on for a party, a youth activity, or sporting event. The sense of entitlement, this expression of white privilege, has a long history manifesting itself in national narratives, popular entertainments, marketing schemes, sporting worlds, and self-improvement regimes. And that just really spoke to me in association with this book. I feel like we've said it time and time again that it's clear that Stephanie just took nativeness and used it for her own benefit. And then I think specifically in this chapter, it really plays on to that trope of indigenous people and their spirituality, their mysticism without doing any research into what a, what a group of people believe it, they just kind of lump it all together. And so there's this one trope that's kind of common in different media outlets that is called the Magical Native American. And I found this information on tvtropes.org. It has a really great list of just all kinds of tropes that exist. And so it just kind of talks about that it's this trope, Native Americans or a race meant to be an XB of them who possess powers because of their ethnicity. Often this involves stating that their power comes from innate spirituality or closest to nature that civilized races don't have. Um, this is often a form of positive discrimination. Works often use this trope to promote a positive image of Native Americans rather than accurately portraying their culture or developing them as characters. Like Noble Savage, this trope can have obvious unfortunate implications. While this trope does render Native Americans badass in their own right, it also furthers stereotypes of them as exotic outsiders and often trivializes deep spiritual traditions as a mere fantastical magic in a manner that many real Native people view as disrespectful. 
Com compare how Hollywood voodoo treats the similarly real religion voodoo. And yeah, I just, this whole thing just reeks of be taking advantage of and using and twisting native culture and actual people for the monetary and social gain of a white woman. And she could have done the bare minimum of research, which it seems like she did, and still made it accurate. But instead, she 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 took advantage of them and, you know, gave absolutely no credit. She even claims that all the stories she says are true. Um, there's a quote in the very first website that I read that she wrote on one of her blogs. The Quileute legends Jacob tells Bella in Chapter 6 of Twilight are all genuine Quileute stories that I learned when I was researching the tribe, which is a real tribe with a truly fascinating and mystical history, all actual Quileute legends except for the vampire myth about the cold ones. So Stephanie has gone on record and said they're all real when they're not, and it's just very unfortunate when this culture of people have a really interesting history and really great culture that could have been expanded on. And it wasn't, and it was lied about and twisted and abused. Yep. 1000% agree with everything that you just said. And thank you for bringing in those external sources too. Um, I really like the context that those provided around, you know, the larger picture of, of why this is so problematic. Um, I would say that anyone wanting to learn more about this and that has the means or the ability, um, the National Museum of, I think it's called, I looked it up just to make sure I got, um, the name is a little bit problematic, but the National Museum of the American Indian, which is one of the Smithsonian museums in Washington, D.C., um, I would highly recommend that everyone goes there if they ever have the chance. Um, obviously, it's run by the U.S. government, so we can get into why that sucks another day. But there was a lot of really valuable takeaways and things for me in there that like related so much to what you were just talking about, Paige. Um, Jacob and I went there this last fall when we were in D.C., and they had a room that was just like all advertisements that like played on um, stereotypes and tropes about native people. And it was like staggering. I mean, it was a huge room and every inch of the wall was covered. Like it's just stuff that you never even think about that we just like stole for that, from them and used for fucking a marketing scheme. It's, it's disgusting, but yeah, I definitely recommend everyone go there or obviously if you don't have the means just kind of I'm sure they have a lot of resources online too so yeah and it's just I think about this a lot when I'm reading that Stephanie could have completely left the werewolf part out and just I don't know she I mean she could have left it in and made it non-native people or non a real group of people. It could have just been a whole thing without any of the fake history, but she included it that way for a reason. She did it purposefully, and that's what's problematic about it. Right, definitely. Okay, well, we will move on to kind of the ending of this chapter. So that's the end of the storytelling. And Bella ends up falling asleep. So Jacob calls, sorry if you hear me turning pages, I was like way in the back. Um, Jacob calls Edward to come pick Bella up. And my notes for this say, at Edward, grow up. Because he's literally pacing. Like that, pacing is so aggressive to me. It stresses me out. And I don't understand why he feels the need to do that when he can literally see that she's right there. It's to send a message and also to be petty. But I feel like he's doing it out of stress. And I'm like, why are you so stressed? She's right there. Because he cannot breathe in her scent. He cannot kiss her hair. He cannot... I don't know. I don't know what other weird things he does. Read her books and gaslight. I was going to say rub his nose on her jaw or whatever. <laughs> it's all a thumbs down for me. 
Oh my god. Okay, so Bella crosses the line and goes back with Edward. And I'm confused because, okay, so Edward drives her home, and then obviously we'll come back later because he spends every night in her room. But I'm confused why or how Charlie is not more suspicious that Bella's getting, like, chauffeured around. Like, because she says that night after I'd gotten past Charlie, so he's clearly at home, and, like, he's nosy, so he probably saw that Edward dropped her off, but he knows that she is with Jacob, so is he like, what the fuck? Yeah, also, Bella has a perfectly working car. Like, why couldn't she drive herself? That he bought her, no less. Yeah, it is it is bizarre, especially with how curious and involved Charlie wants to be in Bella's romance and with specifically Jacob and Bella. Right. Nosy. I feel comfortable calling him that. I'm nosy, too, so it takes one to know. <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if you can if you can do it without disrupting people's lives, I I don't see any harm. Have you seen those TikToks where the filter, like, changes your face into, like, a rat's face? Yes. <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. Okay, so Edward comes back into her room, and he tells her that Jacob is out on the patrol, taking over for Esme. And then Bella has a nightmare that basically is a retelling of the fake... Quilliet's story. Um, so Rosalie is fighting with Billy Black, and Bella is about to be the third wife and sacrifice her life because she has a knife and then she wakes up. I have nothing to say. Bella needs better dreams. <laughs> Last night I had a dream that I went to the movies with my mom and we ate a bunch of popcorn and then my mom got into a fight with another mom and they like fought at the very front of the movie theater. Like it was really, it was really stressful in the dream, but looking back on it, it's hilarious. Did she win? Did Brenda win? Um, She hurt her ankle, which made me sad. Damn it. Um, I woke Jacob up the other night screaming in my sleep, but I didn't tell him what it was. And now I'm coming clean. <laughs> I had a dream that there was like, for some reason I was cleaning my basement of my parents' house where I grew up. And there was like these gigantic spider bodies, like tarantulas, dead dead bodies in the windowsill. And I was like, I'm not cleaning those. I'm not, I'm not cleaning those up. And my dad was like, you have to. And I was like, I'm not. And so he grabbed them all and he threw them at my face and I jerked and screamed and woke up. And then Jacob was like, are you okay? And I didn't have the heart to tell him that it was just about tarantulas. That's scary though. It was, it was. Ron would never do such a thing. Mm -mm. There's in Skyrim, there's big spiders like that, that are life-size, if not bigger. And I've seen people have set up these crazy VR things where you're on a treadmill and so, but in a harness, so you can walk in any direction and then you have a VR headset on. So it's like you're walking in the game and someone was like, imagine you are playing Skyrim like this and you walk into a frostbite spider. I would be dead. I, I would be pooping and peeing everywhere. Screaming and crying and throwing up. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate what spiders do, but I don't have to see them. You can live in my house as long as I don't know you're here. They could live outside my house. I like them keeping the other bugs out, but again, I don't want to see you do it. You can do it, but I don't want to see you. Do you remember that spider that Edward killed in Midnight Sun? He was just minding his own fucking business. He is not i mean he's blown up like two trees he's not very kind to the environment nope the earth is dying edward and not all of us are gonna live forever so get your shit together yeah and also you also will not live forever in a supernova you will be dead that's a good point this is this is completely random. You can cut this out or you can leave it in. Honestly, whatever you feel like. Um, 
but I FaceTimed with Danny yesterday and he showed me his shirt and it said, I swear to God, if you talk to me, I will scream. <laughs> he wore it to, specifically because he had to go to Home Depot and he didn't want any Home Depot employees to talk to him. I love that so much. I want five in five different colors. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wonder where he got it from. Like, I genuinely don't know. Please ask. I'm dead serious. Okay, I'll find out. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so Bella wakes up from her nightmare and Edward was reading Wuthering Heights and she's like, I thought you didn't like that book. And he's like, well, I'm relating to it more because of spending time with you. So then the next day, she opens to a page of Wuthering Heights in which Heathcliff, who is the um, basically the male hero, I don't know, the love interest, is saying that his his basically his rival for his lover's affections like he would never hurt him because his lover cares about that person but if his lover i think her name's Catherine, but i can't fucking remember right now I, so we'll just call her Catherine. if Catherine ever was like i don't care about that guy he would like murder him and drink his blood and obviously this is just like not even a subtle reference to the love triangle between Edward, Jacob, and Bella. Like, it's literally, like, with some of her literary reference, she kind of weaves in some interesting, not with this one. It is, slaps you in the face. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest, and I I feel like I'm outing myself as a dummy because I'm re-looking at the, the line right before the, the passage, and it says, it was Heathcliff speaking, and I knew the passage well. For some reason, I thought this was a girl talking in in this and I did not understand what was going on but now that you've explained it yeah that's extremely obvious I totally it hit me right in the face I 100% super obvious (laughs) sorry Paige I had no idea (laughs) I'm glad you explained it because it it yeah it makes sense now (laughs) I mean it even says drink his blood come on I know I figured it was like that was the whole reason it was put in was that line specifically and we know Bella loves that book so it was like oh yeah no it makes sense but yeah now that I know the truth about it yeah it's a little on the nose yeah that's the end of the chapter really I mean Bella's trying to convince herself that Edward was not like empathizing with that passage but he obviously was so yeah at the end of an essay it's like, what do you say? So, yeah. This is like every time I have to end the podcast, that's what I do. Um, so we're off next week. So y'all will be hearing this on March 1st. Is it first? Yeah, March 1st. And um, we will not have a new episode out March 8th. Paige has to go work with some dead people. Um, so we'll be, back, we'll be back on March 15th. Yes. And we are going to be reading two chapters, chapters 12 and 13. Time and newborn. What are your predictions? Well, newborn obviously has to do with the new vampire slash vampires in Seattle. What it is about them, who's to say? I think we'll probably maybe get like some solid numbers or you know, really see what's going on in Seattle or like at least introduce like, okay, here's the problem. How do we solve it? Sort of. So that's, that one's pretty obvious. I think, um, as for time, I have no guesses. Um, maybe, you know, we're running out of time. Oh no, Victoria's getting closer or, oh no, we're running out of time. The Volturi's coming. Oh no, we're running out of time. The newborn problem is fast approaching. I think it's going to be like, we're running out of time versus like, it's time. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Thank you. I know you don't, you do not have much to go off of. So we did have so many issues trying to figure out how we could watch New Moon with all the patrons and donors. Um, I just, it's just, we can't figure it out, y'all. Send a letter to Netflix and tell them to get it back. Until then, um, if you haven't heard of the game Quiplash, it's just like a fun game you can play 
as long as you have a smartphone. So we are going to be trying to set that up. We'll have more details and a date for you on when that is going to happen um, in two weeks when we're back. But yeah, if you want to be part of that and you're already a patron or a donor to Move to Higher Ground, you already are in. And if you want to, you have to become a patron or send us proof of a donation to Move to Higher Ground. Um, cool. We hope you all have a good week, a couple weeks till we're back. In the meantime, tell them where they can find us, Paige. Hit us up. Our Instagram has been popping recently. Thank you to ads and thank you to Bailey for the fun conversations we've been having. Um, you can have a fun conversation with us. This could be you. You can have a fun conversation with us on Instagram and on Tumblr at Tuesdays Are for Twilight. You can send up send us some gifts, chat with Jem, you know, whatever works on Twitter at Taft Pod. Yeah, thank you for, as always, the very interesting conversation, Jem. Continue, Paige. Shoot us an email if you want to get more in depth. Um, you can email us at Tuesdays are for Twilight at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash Tuesdays are for Twilight. And especially given this week's chapter and content that we've talked about, please check out, honestly, aside from what I'm about to say, do, do some of your own research into some Quileute history. I mean, we we explored it a little bit in a past episode, but it's super interesting. And why not now? explore a little more, you know, so I don't have any sources for you on that, just a fun blurb. But if you'd like to support them financially, or just sort of look into their um, efforts to move their cultural land to higher ground, you can find out more about that and donate at www.mthg.org. Love it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. What are your closing words, Paige? You know, if you're getting a tax return, if if you're in the United States and you're getting a tax return, don't be afraid to do what you want. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I want. Spend your money the way you want, baby, if you can. Sometimes you can't. But if you can, spend it the way you want, baby. Um, If you can't, you know what? I support you and you're going to freaking do it. And that's what I got to say. What are they going to do? I'm confused by that last part. They're going to do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll see y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Our amazing intro and outro music was performed by Danny Plowman and produced by Alberto Beltran. You can follow Danny at Danimal6, and that's six the word, not six the number, Danimal6 underscore on Instagram. Mm-hmm.